34 years strong. CIUT, the sound of your city. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the producers and or the persons appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of CIUT-FM. CIUT 89.5, the sound of your city. Stream CIUT at www.ciut.fm. You're listening to The More the Merrier with Donna G. Coming up on today's show, of course, I will have some music for you, but my interviews today, I've got two for you. The first one is with senior programmer from the Toronto International Film Festival, Steve Gravestock. We'll be discussing a selection of Nordic and Canadian films at this year's festival. For all things TIFF, the website is www.tiff.net, T-I-F-F dot net. After that, I'll be speaking to Sister Lois, a.k.a. African Princess, and we'll be playing catch-up. We'll be talking about the pandemic, how she keeps going as an artist, uh, grant applications, and basically what's going on with her as an artist and a community activist. Keep it locked to CIUT 89.5 FM, The More the Merrier, with Donna G. to CIUT 89.5 FM. This is Donna G, the more the merrier. My guest today is Steve Gravestock, Senior Programmer at the Toronto International Film Festival. Welcome, Steve. Great to be here. Thanks for asking me. So you and I both have this love of both Canadian and Nordic films. And we know we have some entries at TIFF 21. So I just wanted to chat with you about a few of them. I want to get started with... um, the worst person in the world. Now, this is the third in a trilogy, and as much as I love Nordic films, I haven't seen the other two. Will that matter for others like me who haven't seen the other two in this trilogy? No, okay. no it won't. Uh, although you should check them out. They're both exceptional films. The director is uh, Joachim Trier, uh, who did um, Reprise and Oslo, August 31st. Those are the other two uh, films in the trilogy. 
uh, all of them deal with uh, youth or, uh, you know, sort of 20 something, 30 year olds, you know, uh, addressing, you know, they're addressing maturity or, you know, shifts, changes in their life. They're usually at a kind of crossroad. He also did uh, Louder Than Bombs, first sort of American co-production and uh, Thelma, the smart, uh, smart horror movie from a couple of years ago. Worst Person in the World, of course, won the uh, Best Actress Prize at the recent, very recent Cannes Film Festival. Uh, Renata Ronsva is the is the lead actress. She plays a woman named Julie, uh, and she's um, she refuses to sort of be pigeonholed or defined by others, particularly through her relationships. And uh, you know, it, it opens with her sort of shifting around and changing her major in school, and then and then. Um, you know, shifting from science to art. And then she, uh, and then it sort of charts, uh, you know, how she enters the workforce. And really all, what she does is follow her own interests. Uh, she's like very curious, very, uh, very excited about what she discovers. It's new. Um, and, you know, often that causes, you know, she sort of pays the price to some degree with, with some of her relationships. It's very elegantly and energetically made it has the same sort of energy as a, a french new wave film oh french new wave tell me more uh there's a great moment where she's just sort of falling in love or starting to fall in love and uh um she slips out on her current boyfriend to meet the other uh the the, the person she's now she, she's increasingly more interested in and everything freezes around her as she runs across Oslo. Trier makes Oslo look like one of the most romantic cities, like, you know, Paris of the North, I guess. Okay. But anyway, and also it reminds me of some of the French New Wave titles because she's very much like a Jean Moreau type figure, uh, you know, uh, less sort of, you know, a adapted to the world. You know, I mean, she's like, like Moreau in films like Bay of Angels or lovers or Jules and Jim she's um she refuses to be defined she lives by her own choices and lives by her own definitions so uh you know it's it reminds me a lot it also reminds me actually I was watching Darling the Julie Christie uh 60s film by John Schlesinger reminded me a lot of that although that one has a lot of like rampant misogyny in it and this is like a very to me to my mind a very feminist film because it's really about her making her own choices and and living by them. Yeah, that's what I'm getting from what you're saying. The fact that she seems to be an independent spirit and that definitely does have a feminist bent to it. Yeah, and it's just, I mean, this is a, a filmmaker I've been following since his first feature, which was which was Reprise, which we, um, which won the Discovery Prize here uh, 10 or 15 years ago. So uh, really, um, really great to have him back with the new film. And it's a gala too, which is great. So I think it indicates, you know, his maturity, but also, you know, the impact his films are having. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Oslo was one of the biggest art films of the, that or art house releases of that year. And was like, and of course it was actually, it, and it, it was adapted from the same source material as uh, Louis Mal's Fou Filet, which is a sort of classic new wave or new wave era title. Steve, how does this compare to the film Compartment Number no. Six? I was just about to get to that one. Uh, okay. That also won uh, prizes it can. In fact, it shared the Grand Prix or Grand Prize with uh, Hero. Uh, Compartment Number no. Six is the second film by Finnish director Ayuho Kusmanen, whose previous film also played here at TIFF, um, The Happiest Day in the Life of Oli Maki. Uh, this, again, it has some sort of romantic elements to it but it's it's not a, i mean the film is essentially about uh a train ride across 
across Russia. And uh, these two uh, very different people wind up in the same cabin. Uh, Laura is uh, an academic and intellectual. She's just sort of finished her graduate studies in Moscow. And at the suggestion of her uh, older lover, Irina, who's a, uh, she's a, a literature professor, I, I believe. Um, she's she's going to travel across Russia to see these sort of uh, legendary drawings uh, in, in this remote town called Murmansk. And she gets into the cabin and uh, her cabin mate for this long, like three, four day trip uh, is a, a guy named Loha, who is uh, already wasted. Uh, he's going there to work in a, a big mine. Um, he's, uh, he continues, he basically drinks for the first day and a half, uh, like an entire bottle of vodka, I think. And he's, you know, working class. He's not intellectual. Um, he, and he, uh, um, you know, it's just how they sort of deal with each other. Initially, she just flees the cabin, uh, and tries to get her seat changed. Uh, and, you know, how they deal with each other. It's really a story about how they, um, you know, see past their prejudices and, you know, their assumptions and uh, see the humanity in one another. Um, it's really, there's lots of unexpected turns in it, um, uh, which is, you know, indicates how inventive and, uh, you know, how skillful a filmmaker uh, Kusmanen is, because essentially they're in a cabin uh, for most of the film. Um, and uh, it's, you know, it's really uh, about how that, that relationship develops. Uh, um, there are a couple of times when they get off the train and they meet people and they don't turn out to be the people they expect to be. Uh, there's a, uh, I don't want to, you know. Get don't give away too plot. much, Steve. Don't uh, give away too much. But it's, uh, it's, it's very, I mean, it was compared to Before Sunrise, although I think that's a little Richard Linkletter's classic but I think that's a little misleading. It's not like that film at all. These people are sort of further along in their lives. They're mm -hmm. not like, uh, you know, students meeting in Paris, right, where you expect romance to happen. This right. is a, a, quite a different film. It reminds me more of sort of classics of travel literature, like, you know, Mary McCarthy's uh, seminal short story, Man in the Brooks Brothers Sue, which is about a, a, a two people who meet on a train. And, you know, it's sort of that kind of that sort of suspense, like, not like in a Hitchcockian sense, but you know, who are you going to be, who are you going to be stuck with on this trip and how are you going to get along with them? And, you know, there's also a kind of implicit sort of strangers on a train eroticism kind of thing, mm -hmm. but, uh, um, you know, it's, uh, or, you know, an erotic potentially, you know, element like that. Although that's, um, like I said, I don't want to give away too much. Of the right. Uh, but it's really, uh, um, it's really very much, a, you know, and you're trapped with people, uh, you know, for days on end. Right. Uh, so it's really much more about that kind of thing. And it's set right at the right just before the beginning of the Putin era. Uh, it's interesting because it's 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 adapted from a well-known Finnish novel by Rosa uh, Lixum. Uh, and he actually, uh, Kuzmanen actually changed the period because it was sort of set the novel set at the right before Glasnost, uh, you know, the sort of end of the old mm -hmm. Soviet Union. And this is sort of, this is set at the end of that sort of Glasnost period, uh, that sort of liberation uh, uh, period, uh, you know, where, where the borders were sort of opened up. Uh, so it's, you know, again, it's sort of 
uh, about the end of an era in a lot of ways. So, and it's really like, it's, uh, I'm not surprised it won the grand prize. Uh, Yuho's a really exceptional filmmaker. So. I'm always there for a train movie. So <laughs> this is definitely on my list. Um, Taya Lindberg is in the Discovery Program. For people who are listening, can you tell us more about that program, Steve? Uh, absolutely. Uh, uh, well, Discovery sort of, it's primarily first or second features, or uh, in some rare occasions there's been uh, third features in the program, but it's really about the um, new directors, uh, emerging directors. Um, and th- I mean, often, you know, they're very assured they've done a lot of shorts or, you know, they've got, got a lot of experience and that would apply to As in Heaven, which is a very uh, assured and uh, quite accomplished debut. Um, it's a drama about a young woman, uh, about a, it's about a century and a half ago on a farm in a rural area in Denmark called Sodal, I think. And um, her mother is pushing her to uh, leave the farm and get, uh, have an edu- acquire an education. And there's, you know, her father's resistant to it. And the mother is experiencing a very difficult pregnancy. So it's all about these kind of obstacles that, that uh, you know, are in the way of uh, the, the sort of heroine lease uh, of, you know, sort of escaping the farm. But it's also, it's a very contemporary piece too, because it's very much about the uh, schism between, or the, you know, opposition between faith and science and medicine. Uh, the, the woman who runs the household, uh, the uh, sort of, uh, housemaid a woman named old Cindy is very religious and won't hear is not really interested in bringing you know doesn't isn't interested in science believes in visions and things like that and it's really about um and I, I would say it's also about the how micro changes uh you know prevent sort of social progress on a uh, uh on a sort of a macro level uh you know how you know the you know, the fact that at least maybe not, go, you know, the obstacles in front of her leaving and getting, acquiring an education or, or getting an education um, really do sort of indicate what's going on socially as well and the impediments to, to that kind of progress. So it's, it feels very timely and is, you know, really well crafted. Mm-hmm. Uh, great performance by the young actress who plays Lise. Very timely considering, you know, the pandemic that we're in and, you know, there is, a certain sector of the faith community that is in opposition to science. So yeah. I think that universal theme will resonate with yeah. many people. So moving on now to a director who's done a couple of films that I I have enjoyed, uh, Kitchen Stories and Ohor Ten, um, yeah. The Middleman by... Yes, Ben Hamer. Ben uh, Hamer. Which was shot, shot up in Sault Su- Ste. Marie, actually. It's a Canadian co-production. Uh, unbelievable, uh, unbelievable yeah. location, Sault Ste. Marie. Yeah, and it's very, it's, uh, um, uh, it's a mix of Apostera uh, uh, Hagen, who was in the um, uh, Contiki a couple of years ago, and Tuva Novotny, uh, well-known uh, actress who also, uh, her feature debut was in the Discovery Program a couple of years ago. Yes, I uh, interviewed but, uh, Tuva about that. Yeah. She's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, uh, uh, Nicholas Bro, who's in a lot of the Anders Thomas Jensen films, uh, has a small role in it. And key, key performances by a great Canadian, really good Canadian cast. Um, 
uh, Don McKellar, Paul Gross, Ken Welsh, uh, Sheila McCarthy. And it's really about this dying small town. And the main character gets a job and it's a very prestigious job. Uh, he's working for the city or the commission, which is, you know, run by Nick Burrow and Gross and, and McKellar. And uh, uh, his job is to tell, uh, give people, go to families who suffered a loss and give them the bad news. Uh, and uh, it's, and, you know, this town is, it's, you know, the economy sort of drying up and it's fraught, it's plagued by horrible accidents uh, um, and shock, rather shocking accidents. So it's, it's got that kind of absurdist humor that you'd see in kitchen stories, but it's also quite serious in a lot of ways, uh, you know, because it does deal with economic depression and personal depression as well. Uh, and it's really about how the main character, Frank Ferrelli, deals with, you know, demons from his own past and, you know, uh, demons from his present. He's got a nemesis named Bob Spencer, who's always drunk and raging at him because he thinks Bob thinks that Frank has, you know, um, taken everything from him. Like he's quite, anyway, it's, 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 it's a really, um, it's a, it's, it's a, you know, it's very much a Ben Hamer movie, that sort of mix of, uh, uh, it's fairly serious, uh, quite serious drama and these sort of absurdist moments about people being unable to connect or being repressed, you know, like in kitchen stories. Um, I mean, J Paul Gross has one of the best lines uh, I've heard all year where he tells Frank as he's training him to be the middleman and give bad news. He said he tells him, you know, you only have one chance to say as little as possible. <laughs> So yeah. really looking forward to showing that. And, you know, if everything works out, we'll have a lot of people from the film here, hopefully, if all the travel stuff works out and, you know, yes. uh, you know, the way we um, Does Axel Henny have... Axel Henny has a key role too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's, a, he's uh, another favorite of mine. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's really good in the film. Uh, I mean, it is a, it's a big cast. Uh, uh, you know, people recognize a lot of the, uh, a lot of the uh, um, all in Sault Ste. Marie. Yes. <laughs> well, Sault Ste. Marie, and I think they shot a few, uh, although it's a really er eerie uh, presentation of Sault Ste. Marie. It's quite sort of, uh, you know, there's a great moment where they go to this bay and all these, because of the, the depression or, or the recession or the economic troubles, uh, these sort of wealthier people have just let their boats drift up river so they don't have to pay the insurance. And, and he and, uh, the main character, Frank, and, uh, oh, Rossi Sutherland's in it, too. He's also great in it. Uh, the main character, Frank, and his his friend, a uh, uh, father of his friend, um, go to the bay and look at these boats sort of drifting aimlessly down the canal <laughs> or the river. Uh, it's it's quite something. Uh, yes, very strong piece. Although, I, I just to segue or, or mention some of the Canadian films, the uh, um, Kicking Blood was shot in Sudbury, and it's right. I was going to get to that one next. Oh, good, good. Uh, it's it's also has a very eerie portrait of or very eerie version of Sudbury, uh, all shot at night, of course, because it's a vampire film. Uh, Blaine Thurier is the filmmaker. Really great young cast to uh, Anna Bale and Luke Billick. Um, Rosemary Dunsmore is in it as well. Um, yeah, just a, a, a really. Uh, it's just a really strong young cast. Alla Jonah uh, Farlinger is is one of the vampires too. So, uh, but anyway, the presentation of Sudbury is, is, is uh, makes it look like 
Romero's Pittsburgh, but a little bit more romantic uh, uh, or a little bit more, a little bit more eerie. Sudbury and romantic. Yeah. Sudbury and romantic. Well, like more otherworldly, I think. Not necessarily romantic, a little lunar. Uh, And it's, it's sort of, it, it, uh, the vampires entered these kind of hipster vampires and there's a whole kind of economy, the undead, how they survive, which, you know, I mean, most vampire uh, films, they're just automatically rich because they've been around long enough. But the, uh, in this case, the vampires are kind of scavengers uh, and sort of B and E types. Uh, They live off their victims uh, uh, or whatever they have in their homes. So it's, it's kind of like a reversal that kind of, uh, it's an interesting uh, twist to uh, how the, the, you know, this lore is normally presented and also deals uh, um, there's, it's, it's kind of shot in a sort of deadpan style that uh, like a lot of, there's an element of artifice, uh, probably a bit like the Jim the Jarmusch vampire movie, but also very much like the sort of early Stuart Gordon titles like Beyond, From Beyond or uh, Reanimator, because uh, it has this sort of really kind of, uh, like it's almost on a delay the, the way it's it has this sort of stone feel which is very appropriate because the film also deals with the addiction uh in in a variety of ways addiction to blood addiction to alcohol addiction to drugs so it, it pulls out that uh, um you know that kind of vampirism is a, is a sort of layered metaphor for a variety of things uh and you know very much a blank uh Thurier film because he's often dealt with hipsters and bohemians sort of living on the fringes. I want to talk about Wildhood because this is a two-spirited Micmac film. Um, yes. Tell me more about Brett and Hannah. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, really a very stylish film. Uh, uh, quite a powerful story of self-discovery um, about uh, a, a teenage boy and his um his younger uh, brother, uh, they live uh, with their uh, father. Uh, it's sort of a half, his brother's sort of a half brother. Um, but the, um, the, their father played by Joel Thomas Hines is sort of abusive and alcoholic. And the, the main character, um, um, he, he finds out that he's been lied to about what happened with his mother. And uh, he's Mi'kmaq, but he, he has very little relationship to his roots because his father's not part of that community, um, and, and not part of that heritage. So he and his he 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 finally he has enough at one point when he realizes that he's been lied to about this stuff, and he and he takes a, uh, he takes off. He he you know he runs away with his uh, younger brother in tow because he couldn't leave him uh, with with his father, and it's reminiscent in a lot of ways of films like firecrackers and sleeping giant or closet monster about uh young people sort of uh um uh breaking free from their their homes and you know you know and and, you know pursuing independence or pursuing independence you know outside of the home uh although i'd say this one because it's about sort of rediscovering roots and rediscovering a past you didn't know about it's it's actually i think it's it's those other films tended towards the bleak, and that's not really what's going on in this film. And I think part of that is because uh, part of uh, I think the main uh, part of the, uh, the the main character's journey is um, uh, you know it it involves nature, and I think that sort of uh, 
broadens things. So it's, 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 it's in some ways, it's a more optimistic, um, you know, in some ways, a more upbeat title than, say, Sleeping Giant or Firecrackers. Uh, and really quite stylish. Uh, um, uh, Breton's done a number of short films, and he really, he draws out the natural beauty of, of, of the area. It's shot in the Annapolis Valley, which is traditional Mi'kmaq territory. Um, in Nova Scotia, you don't often see a lot of films that, you know, um, relish uh, the uh, the natural landscape in Nova Scotia. Often they tend to be more urban. Um, speaking of urban, I know this is, um, we're switching uh, locations here, but before we wrap, I wanted to get you talking about Learn to Swim because this film sounds really innovative and intriguing for me uh, oh, by the yeah. Toronto director. Tyrone Tommy, yeah. Mm-hmm. This was one of the... Uh, um, first films, Ravi and I decided we were going to invite. Uh, it's a debut feature. Um, uh, it's sort of loosely related to a short that uh, Ty- uh, Tyrone Tommy did with at the CFC, but it's quite different. Uh, you know, some of the characters and uh, the great lead in Learn to Swim, uh, Thomas Anthony Elijah Day, um, uh, is in it. But the uh, uh, but it's it's quite different. Uh, it's set. Um, it's set in the Toronto jazz world uh, and, you know, all the characters are musicians, jazz musicians. Um, and, you know, they're, it's sort of gig to gig. Uh, there's a, there's a sort of uh, frequent refrain where they, uh, uh, they're at bars, you know, after hours and, you know, they, they do a toast to tens and twenties because that's what they get paid in if they're, if things go well. Uh um, but and it's very much very uh, sort of engaged in the jazz scene. Um, you know, the, the band plays, uh, the, the, the music that's featured, much of it was done specifically, for, composed specifically for the film. Uh, you know, it's a mix of modern jazz. You know, there's elements of hard bop and cool jazz, but also Latinx uh, styles uh, and, and genres um, or forms and um, some hip hop as well. Uh, some of the some of the hip hop uh, is 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 done by the other great lead in the film Emma Ferrara, both of whom are rising stars actually at TIFF this year. So you know, uh, just a and it's shot in a really interesting way, and st- stories told in a different, very interesting way. Uh, it's very much about um, uh, grief and loss and memory and how those can can kind kind of consume you, and it shuttles back and forth between two different periods in a really smart and very well edited way. Uh, just a really, um, just a stellar piece of, of work. I have to say we had a lot of really good first features uh, this year. Uh, uh, Ravi and I found, uh, saw a lot, um, for instance, Quickening by Hiawa Seam, I highly recommend, and Scarborough, uh, which is an adaptation of the Catherine Hernandez uh, novel. Um, uh, uh, really, really smart, uh, all of them. Uh, Night Raiders, which is a gala, a film by Dennis Goulet, uh, a dystopian kind of thriller uh, that references a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of stuff that's been in the news, uh, uh, the re- what went on with the residential schools. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's about an indigenous um, mother and daughter who are escaping this kind of police state. And uh, they kind of hook up with the uh, a resistance, uh, and uh, Dennis, of course, is is Cree. She's from Saskatchewan, uh, and uh, or Cree Métis, I think. Uh, and um, uh, sorry about that. I'm not sure. 
uh, and uh, it, it deals very much with a lot of the um, a lot of the issues we've been hearing uh, uh, from the indigenous community, but but in a kind of um, genre framework. I, in a lot of ways, I think it's sort of connected to films like Blood Quantum by Jeff Barnaby, mm-hmm. and uh, Danis has a bit of a genre history as well. Uh, you know, I think uh, Wakening, uh, her short from a couple of years ago, um, uh, uh, you know, t- set, was set in a uh, sort of genre world. But it's it's a really, really strong film. And I know Cam- and Cameron and all of us are really excited about showing that. Okay. Thank you so much, Steve, for joining me to do this interview. Thank you. Right here, right now, every day. CIUT 89.5, the sound of your city. And again, reminder, the Toronto International Film Festival runs from September the 8th to the 19th. You're listening to The More the Merrier with Donna G. Up next is an interview I did with Sister Lois. And uh, this is my new time slot here, Sundays at 1 p.m. And throughout all my incarnations of shows here at CIUT over the past 25 years, I've always taken her with me. And it's my pleasure to introduce her to you. She's a singer, actress, teacher, community uh, creatrix. Uh, She wears many, many hats, and uh, she's a storyteller as well, which you will hear during our conversations. I won't even call it an interview. You'll hear it during this conversation I have with her. Here she is, Sister Lois. So, Sister, uh, share with us how it was uh, for you during the pandemic, because it's been a while since we've been able to uh, get together and chat. So I want to know how things went for you during this pandemic. And let's go back to early 2020. What were you working on at the time? And, you know, how did things transpire? Wow. In early 2020, I was mainly doing uh art with the toronto raging grannies and they were encouraging me to do more independent art and i got a few opportunities around international women's day in early march to do just that i didn't spread my wings too far afield but i did attend a lot of events where i just allowed myself to be immersed in what's happening now what are women talking about because you know we're just um coming through black lives matter coming through time's up coming through me too and these are things that i've never stopped talking about from the minute i hit a stage and so it was good that the rest of the world it felt to me had caught up with the things that had always been such absolutely totally consuming concerns for me in the past and then suddenly um i couldn't be out there to participate in this big change that was going on i had to watch it from the sidelines for my own health for my own safety because i do live with an immune compromised frame and it's just was just smarter and i'm glad i did because now i'm hearing that you could be double jabbed, you can be booster shotted, and you're still 
catching these variants. So I think staying clear of humans was probably just, yeah, self-isolation was a very good thing for me. I know for me, when the, when the pandemic hit, because I have sort of a loose schedule that I follow for the more the merrier in terms of film festival coverage and theater coverage, I had mm-hmm. certain dates in my mind as to what I would be doing um, far into the summer and even the fall. And then that dried up. And one of the things that impacted me is the fact that I have friends in the arts and friends in the arts who do um, theater and film. It's gig to gig. And when they don't have a gig, they sometimes, you know, are servers in restaurants. So they were hit twice with the pandemic. And I saw into the future and I saw people being worried about food and rent and and just living life here in in Toronto. So how did that impact you in terms of your livelihood being able being not not being able to perform? You know what's really crazy? Um all the things you mentioned were concerns for me but mainly for my elder iconic musicians who I knew were not as tech savvy and weren't as out in community. And so I immediately got involved with two other sisters and we started going to visit elders and trying to access them products that, you know, they couldn't necessarily access. uh, They couldn't go out themselves because they were a vulnerable population. Exactly. And arranging good food boxes, especially the Caribbean type for those Caribbean um, elders. And yeah, so I'm not saying I pushed all my concerns aside, but Mm -hmm. my time was more in, I felt effectively used in supporting my community. And um, I don't know, I got a little bit of... um, charge to my own health from knowing I was helping. It made me stay healthy, I think. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I live in this pain body and any this when you live in a pain body, it needs any any slight excuse to lay down, eh? Right. So you, and you uh, definitely you definitely had an excuse with the pandemic. A lot of exactly. people did. So I had to like say no, 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 not today. We're not going to stay in bed today. We're going to get up and do some things. And um, and just on small levels, I found myself even on Facebook or on my YouTube um, ch- um, channels putting out a lot more um, positive, light a candle, uh, you know, self-love, self-preservation type material that is not usually my want, but it just felt like that's what I could do now. So I offered it, you know? Yeah. And I know for me, it was a learning curve as well. I mean, we're doing this interview through Zoom and Mm -hmm. prior to the pandemic, I didn't even know about Zoom because I never had to. I, I went, I did my recordings from the studio at Hart House. I may have recorded in advance because my show at that time was um, 1 a.m. 
um, Wednesday mornings. So I would record in advance, but I would do that on site at the studio in Hart House. And that shut down and we had to scramble in CIUT. We got things together so that our broadcasts were pretty much uninterrupted since the time of the pandemic. So we've all had to learn new new technologies and and new ways of negotiating this life. So for you, what were some of the technical things that you had to learn or did you? I literally had to upgrade my computer because my old girl couldn't handle Zoom. It wouldn't even um, accept it. I, I, yeah, it just, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it required um, 11 point something to run Zoom and my machine was 10.5 or 10.7 or something. I don't know all the technical stuff. Mm-hmm. That's what the people at the Mac store told me. And so, yeah, it meant upgrading material. It meant uh, upgrading my telephone. It up- meant upgrading several things just because I was just too old school to handle not just Zoom. I learned about uh, supermarket. And, um, um, oh, there's so many kinds out there. I didn't know until I had opportunity to do a variety of um, podcasts. But, yeah, each different thing seemed to have a different platform I was on. Tell me about the the podcast and doing the interviews. How did that come about? Well, it was always that someone else was in the middle of doing something because I think the George Floyd thing really kind of lit a demographic fire under a lot of people. And so suddenly they needed a black woman on their show. Mm -hmm. And I fit that demographic. And so, um, you know, I'm not being um, denigrating of my own gifts that I bring to the table. I know I do bring gifts to the table, but I felt during that time period that that might have been the number round reason that I was being asked. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. But that's okay. However, you get in the door. Right. So you mentioned you have, you know, all these different compartments to your talent. How did people find you? Ah, that's the word of mouth thing. Because don't forget, I have no website. I haven't mm-hmm, ever advertised right. myself. But because I'm a community artist, I'm known in so many communities. So um, um, the cannabis community arranged uh, for me to do some interviews with some folks in that arena. I can't remember the name of the uh, the podcast. I remember it was by a woman who had the name of Dakota Langtree. And then after that, um, some friends in the um, HIV positive arena, where I do a lot of volunteer work, uh, arranged for me to do something called Queer on the Couch, and um, which was an interesting interview because it was a sweltering day. I did that interview wrapped up in a towel because I was just sweating so much. It was just too much. Um, And then I got this really wonderful woman named Barbara Beckford. She's the one that made me have to learn to use supermarket. Uh, She did something called the Diamond Queen Jubilee, where she just interviewed women artists and women entrepreneurs and just women who she felt were breaking ground. And then I got another interview back again in the um, cannabis arena, Kenny, 
Kelly Renee from the um, Kelly's Greenhouse. She's a reverend. And it was kind of similar to the Church of the Universe interview. Um, and then someone from, and this was the most fun, I can't remember Allison's last name, but she did the longest, most interesting interview and she put me on her program more than once. And her thing was called Take Notice. And she had an interest in indigenous and um, brown and black people. And she lives in uh, Washington or Oregon or one of these faraway places. And um, yeah, so I had these wonderful interviews and these opportunities. And because of it, it seemed that people were nominating me for things. So I got nominated for, I can't even remember what the first award was. And then the second one was a universal woman of inspiration or that one's still coming i've been nominated i don't know if i've won anything yet and just a variety of things started happening that just kind of linked to um needing references uh they would nominate you for things but then then they'd want other people to have things to say about you and so who knew me the best at that time were the Toronto Raging Grannies. So I got a couple of grannies to write references for me, which stimulated this whole other thing of, well, sister, the main thing people are interested in is your theater and your music. What are you going to do with your music? Are you going further with it? So earlier that year, one of the things that I did get out of my house to do in March, before everything got really harsh, is I went to see Yolanda in Bug. Oh, Bug, I remember. While at I met a lot of people. I didn't meet Marjorie, but I met people who said, you know, they're looking for actors to do one woman projects and blah, blah, blah. And I said, Oh, I'm sure there's lots of people. And someone said, no, actually they don't get very many applications at all. You should really put something in sister. We'd be really good. And this year, which was 2020 that year I put in, and that's the year they ended up with 114 applications. <laughs> of course, and because of COVID. Yeah, people had nothing else going on, so they were just writing plays. Yeah, And I was lucky enough to be one of the people that they thought was outside the box enough to be interesting, and they said they'd like to help me produce a show. So that just turned everything upside down. And um, what was interesting for me while talking to them, Donna, is I got so... Sorry, talking to them, meaning... Theater Pasmarai. And is this, is this a point where you met Marjorie Chan? Yeah, all of them called me for the interview at one time. Okay. And on that, it was her and three other folks that worked there with her. And um, you've known me for some time. You know that um, I left the railway uh, nothing but dust. And through my tears, I helped to mold the Lois that people know now, the sister, the African princess that came out as a performer who was really just shattered when she left that place. And so um, they gave me this 10 minute showcase, right? And I talked about a variety of things and I used to like carry that so much on my shoulder. I felt that it 
the music I was using was the engine room music. And so that that painful experience defined me so greatly. But I found that in the 10 minutes, I talked about all kinds of things about myself and about my art and about my journey. And it was like when they said to me, oh, you have eight minutes. I mean, you have two minutes left that I remembered, oh, my goodness, I should say where the music comes from. So I told really quickly, you know, about the Department of National Defense and Health Science Center and all the interesting work that I did that was considered non-traditional and how uh, where the music came from and about my time at Canadian National Railway. And they said, way to bury the lead. And I said, <laughs> so I started laughing and I said, you guys don't even know how many friends I've lost over the years who were sick and tired of hearing me tell that poor me story. And so you guys saying to me, way to bury the lead tells me that the most remarkable thing has happened to me without me even noticing it is that I've actually healed on some of that stuff because I'm telling you now in the last two minutes, like an afterthought, you know, yeah. and, and I said, I, oh. it's, 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 a, it's a huge event in your life. It's a huge it's event huge. in your life. Yeah. Right? And so that it came out in the last two minutes, I said, or maybe you guys are like therapists and I was just beating around the bush. And in the last two minutes, I'm now spilling my guts. And they laughed and they said, well, whatever. Um, it was just a pleasure to meet you. Do you have anything else? And I said, well, I could sing myself out. And I went to the piano and I I did um, When the Morning Comes. Can we hear a bit of that? I asked myself, why should I worry? Why should I fret? And why even take? My good time out to pay when there's so much, so much I should do and most certainly would do if I could erase the memory of that. Oh, after a while, they all blend into one face. Hey, but I've got this little bit of reggae music. Bob singing lyrics of hope. The I3's message of love is coming through strong. And Peter singing. You just hang on in there, girl. Tie a rope up. It won't be long. Ah. It'll be all right when your morning comes. Be all right. When you wake up, it'll be, it'll be something. <laughs> <laughs> That's verse two. Thank you so much, Lois. Thank you for doing that. So yeah. out of this, is this where the, so, um, out of this is what, what I didn't know that when you get involved in these theater projects, you got to look for funding now, right? So that meant writing up all kinds of paperwork and getting involved with 
uh, the Ontario Arts Council and applying for the recommenders grant. And when I read the information, yes, it's true that Marjorie chose me out of the 114 to be one of, I don't know what number, to be featured in 2022. But what also transpired is you have to apply to 10 different theaters. Some theater has to read your plan, like your idea, and recommend you for the Ontario Arts Council to give you the recommender's money. I'm very grateful that um, Fourth Line Theater, which with, you know, COVID coming up how it did, they're an outdoor theater that's ran on a farm, right? And they mainly showcase plays that are written about Canadians, by Canadians, about their life and living in this country. And it seemed the perfect match. Who am I? What am I writing about? And uh, I applied to 10 different theaters, but I felt really gratified that this one chose me. I was like, we line up. (laughs) <laughs> you line up with fourth line. Yeah. So what is this uh, project that will come out of this grant? Well, I feel it's going to be a musical. It has no choice. I'm writing about really the depth of my whole experience from my arrival here in 1966. What, what Canadian life has been like for me. And I'm going to, of course, draw parallels with all of the things that seem to be the concerns when this pandemic started, as I mentioned before, um, uh, the Me Too movement, the mattering of Black lives, the uh, time's up. These are all things that we've been living with since time immemorial. It was really good that the rest of the world was finally paying attention. And I was like, I need to write on this. I need to write about what the perspective is of seeing it get this uh, notoriety, our concerns, and still nothing changing. Mm-hmm. Not really. Not significantly. Not, no. Not significantly. I feel like it's, um, it, I feel like we, as a Black woman, I, I feel as if we were a fad. We were. We were, you know, the flavor of the moment. And I'm very suspicious and leery of what is going to come next. I know some people's eyes have been opened, but um, some people's eyes have been opened and we've gained allies. But what is going to happen, you know, next year and the year after that in terms of our lives? Will our lives still matter the same way? They did. Well, so I that's that's know. that's to see. But one of I the things the I am in history. Look at the parallels in history. Remember swing music before World War Two, and the love uh, or the tolerance of black people who played that music, and then during the war, the segregationist kind of mentality that was fostered by Nazism, that United States said, oh no, we're not part of that, but we're still practicing that segregation in everything that they did. And um, I see this as a similar thing. They love the music, they love the 
acting. They love the clothes. They love the flavors of the food. They love our hairstyles. People are still putting iodine in their cream to make themselves look darker. Um, they love everything but the actual life of a black person. Mm -hmm. And we've, you know, we as black people have seen this before. Um, so, yes, yes we, we, we are suspicious, but our work has to continue because it's our life. Exactly. <laughs> it's, a, it's our life. So, um, so I'm glad that this work that you're doing um, will, will highlight that because you definitely have um, a colorful life, pun intended, because you're, sorry, say again. Um, I'm starting the story with my mom. Oh, you're starting the story with your mom. Yes, finally. My mom was actually born in the very year that Langston Hughes penned his variation of dreams. She's you know? the angel on your shoulder. Yeah, everything yeah. I do. Um, and so I was like, you can't write your story without writing her story. That's kind of crazy um, to even attempt it. So yeah it turned out to be it's not just my story and though everyone who's ever been a, a writing coach or counselor to me says to me oh you've got to focus you can't write about two things you got to write about one thing pick one story sister or you'll never finish and they're right but there are some things that come with accompaniment as much as I can sing a cappella, there are some songs that are better with the accompaniment. Mm -hmm. And as much as I'm a solo life, if I don't share the life that I came out of, my story is less of an, uh, a significant and, and less remarkable of a story. And I think thereby will be less effective for the listener. So you know? remind, remind the listener, speaking of which the name of the, the project Jacob's well those things can change though I'm yes I know this is your work this is your working title at the moment yeah my working title is Jacob's well okay all yes. right so what's next for you and the grannies well oh wow the grannies are forever writing and forever recording right now with this election coming up we're writing things about who we won't vote for and why Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. So they're doing songs online. And then I'm also, you know, though I'm wanting to do a solo one woman project, I'm very influenced by the fact that when I started singing as a wee little thing, there was already eight other people in the room singing <laughs> or in various rooms while I was in one room. And so I may have felt I was alone, but I was never alone. So I want to, I know it's a crazy concept, but they said come with remarkable ideas and they'll try to help you manifest it. I want to do a one woman thing, but with antiphonal singers located in different places in the room, just as it was for me as a child. I can't see the singers, and but I hear them and they're part of my song. And people always talk about, you know, Greek choruses, well, mine won't be Greek. Mine will probably be a granny chorus. Hey, so wonderful. That's what's going on with me and the grannies. Yeah, you've been aligned with them for, for many years, and some yeah. wonderful things have come out of that. And they help me write a lot of these songs. Exactly. Them, right? Yeah. 
And they've so, given me opportunities to travel with the music and to just go to different granny events and not just represent them, but represent myself. Which and the really, album that you're working on. Like, oh, wow. That's even further. They're the angels of that project. They're the ones who gave me the money to pay for the studio. And I know I need to apply for more grant money, but I was like, oh, I already got grant money for this, this uh, theater project. And then people said to me, sister, do you know how many artists just live on grants? You can apply for more than one thing. You're a multidisciplinary artist. So this is the theater grant. Go out there and apply for music. So I haven't done it yet, but I've been doing some reading as to see what Canada Council and the TAC has to offer. And and um, it's possible to get like a sister grant to, to um, because it is a musical. And though I've only uh, um, applied for the writing part, I can apply again to something else for the music. Exactly. So, so um, I'm learning things. I'm learning about what you can access. You know, um, when I started in this music business, I always had a day job or a, basically a night job because I never worked days on the railway or piecework for Toyota or GM or Chrysler or whoever I was doing piecework work for at the time. And um, so my daytime thing um, coming from the Seventh-day Adventist background and learning about tithes and my first experiences in Toronto with bands having Long and McQuaid come and repossess the people's equipment before the first set was over, I learned the quick way that you have to be able to afford to do what it is you say you love to do. And so I would always put away a 10% that went towards um, furnishing what was necessary to do a show. So I very rarely applied for anything. I was self-producing and I had my, my little nest egg, my tithe nest egg that I used to buy all my equipment, to buy my sound, my own mics, my own speakers, amplifiers, all the keyboards, my stands, everything, because that experience really traumatized me. And I was like, I don't ever want to experience what it was like I don't know what it was like for those musicians. I was just there as a singer, but it was scary for me watching Long McQuaid come through and just take everything off the stage. I was like, okay, lesson learned. You are going to own what you play with in the future. So you've got the theater, you've got the grannies helping you with the album. And I hope the audience listening today um, have taken note of your perseverance, your willingness to put yourself out there and your willingness to, to learn new things and continue in, in this world that, that you've created for yourself. I'm still learning in the studio. God yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, Lois, thank you so much for joining us today. You. It's been my pleasure as usual. Thank you so much for interviewing me and for giving me a chance to just share with our Toronto audience. And are we still kitchen at a cold bag, buried a Buffalo? Definitely. And now with the internet, oh, okay. we're now yeah, with the you, internet, we're worldwide. <laughs> the World Wide Web. Okay. To the world. Sister Lois, another African princess, Sister Omni Love Diva signing off. Thank you. So thank before you. thank you. One last thing, Lois, where can people okay. find you on social media? Give us a, a handle for the IG. Okay. Um, Sister Lois. <laughs> okay. Spell that for the people so they can find S-I-S- you. S I S. 
as in sis, T-A-H as in ta, L-O-I-S as in Lois. Thank you so much. And it's the same thing on YouTube, Sister Lois, and and on Facebook, Sister okay. Lois. Thank you. Thank right. you very much, Donna G. It's a strange situation up in the world When people hate on another for who they love Why there's people that prey on little children Same-sex marriage gets everybody tripping We'll take a look at all the history that passes by We getting flashbacks, ain't no one asks why Will I be keeping time like a no watch Doing rocks, keeping talks, everything the body drops And I'll be riding like a home's on the pavement Waiting for the moon just to rock me away And I'll be loving it the way that the sea rose Talking to me, baby, like she's only been my Dang, shaka, dang, girl. If you wanna dang, shaka, dang, girl. If you need to dang, shaka, dang, girl. Like if you wanna dang, shaka, dang, girl. If you feel to dang, shaka, dang, girl. If you wanna dang, shaka, dang, girl. If you need to dang, shaka, dang, girl. Like if you wanna dang, shaka, dang, girl. If you feel to. Proposition, use it well. If you don't use it well, then you won't be good in school. In school. Can I sing with you now? We will, we will rock you. Rock you. Rock you. Rock you.